Hello, listener. In today's Euro Football Verdicts podcast, we're doing a special episode on preview of the Portuguese First Division. What's going to happen in the country of the European champions? Who's going to win the title? Who's going to get Europe? And who's going to get sad when it all ends and relegated? All the biggest surprises, everything about the Portuguese league in today's special episode with Portuguese football expert Miguel Moreira. Stay tuned for this and more in today's special episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our Liga No special. We're going to look through a couple of our favorite leagues, and this one is dedicated to the Portuguese first division. Today, we don't have Marco, and neither do we have Steph. We have special guest, Portuguese football expert, and my dear friend, Miguel Moreira. Miguel, welcome. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, not so sure regarding the expert part, though, but uh, I'll do my best to, to give my inputs about what looks to be a very promising season for the, the Portuguese league, uh, as there has been a lot of interesting signings, a lot of changes uh, in the team squads and also in the managers. So let's talk about what's coming and what we can expect this year. Here's Miguel, so let's kick it off. So let's start first to discuss what happened a bit last year. So last year we had um, a title win for uh, your dear FC Porto. Uh, they clinched the title from uh, Benfica after a very good recovery. Um, so Miguel, what, how does it look for your team in this year? Give me a brief overview of uh, expectation around Porto. Uh, so I think to answer that question, we really need to also focus on Porto's rivals and especially uh, Benfica, which I believe uh, will be the main contender. And in my opinion, was also the strongest candidate to win last year as well. And as you mentioned, uh, they were ahead in the first spot of the league uh, during a long time. Uh, but I think that the, the, the break caused by the pandemic was actually uh, very beneficial for Porto, who came back on the pitch uh, with a renewed confidence and uh, strength. And I think that was uh, what really made it uh, to go to Porto's way because the, the last the 10 rounds, Porto dominated. And although they, they had a, a, a slight misstep when they lost the first game after the comeback against Famalicão, after that, the team really uh, got together. They corrected the mistakes they were making. And uh, sometimes playing uh, very flashy football, sometimes with really tough matches where the quality wasn't exactly the, the best. But they managed to, to get a, a lot more points than Benfica, which actually had a, a really poor performance after the comeback of the division. So they actually uh, made it to, to the first spot and they never left it once they got there. And they ended up being crowned champions, uh, although having, in my opinion, uh, a worse squad, uh, not so much in terms of quality of the starting 11, but especially if you look at the depth of the squad, uh, they were clearly... Uh, um, inferior to Benfica, which had more options uh, with the same level of quality. So it was actually a very positive season, also ending with the, the trophy, the, the Portuguese Cup, uh, precisely against Benfica in a match that was, again, uh, as the whole season, very rough. We had a, a player sent off, and despite all the, those struggles, we still managed to, to win. So it was the perfect ending for a season which was really, really tough for the club as uh, while we were behind uh, in, the, in the league. There was a lot of uh, fans already asking for the coach's head, uh, that this project uh, was going nowhere. So I think the, the break actually was beneficial because it managed for the, the team to regroup, to, to really think what was being done that wasn't working. And uh, the fans also had some time to calm down, I'd say. And after that, they, they all got together. The fans also got behind the team because they understood that it's actually more uh, beneficial for them to support the team than rather being critical uh, all the time. So I think that was a, a really interesting turnaround to see. Uh, I wasn't expecting that at all. If, if you would have told me that in January, Porto would be championed by the league's end, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but I'm glad it, it ended up uh, all right for Porto. Bruno Lage being replaced with an interim manager, now with uh, Jorge Jesus for the upcoming season. And so it's looking very, very interesting season. Um, I think also from sporting with a couple of players also looking interesting. 
Yeah, it was definitely a very interesting end of season. We also have the manager's shift at Benfica with, but um, I think we have a really interesting league ahead. Um, uh, maybe one team um, way in front of the others, but I'd still like to, to run through you the top five. What do you think, uh, who's going to be the fifth? Well, that's actually a very difficult question to answer for this season. As, as you mentioned, uh, there have been a lot of changes, not only in terms of players coming in and coming out, but also managers uh, changing seats. And uh, I'm, I'm inclined to say that uh, Riwave will, will get the, the fifth spot and uh, therefore access to the Europa League uh, because they have a very interesting manager, although he doesn't have a lot of experience managing senior teams. He was the manager of the Porto youth team that clinched the, the youth league. He had a very hard-working career. He, he just climbed step-by-step, step, so he got where he is uh, with a lot of merit. And he, he's getting a, a squad that was managed by Carvalhal, which is now in charge of Braga. And the squad hasn't changed that much. They lost a couple of important players, but they also recovered uh, players that were on loan and, and performed well in other clubs. And they also signed a couple of interesting new players. Uh, so let's see I think the they'll be my my choice for the fifth place then regarding the fourth place I think this is a, a very tough uh, analysis to make without considering the, the Champions League the third spot because I think that this will be a very very tight competition between Braga and sporting this year as I mentioned sporting had some some very nice signings but also did Braga uh, Sporting has the advantage of keeping the same manager from last year with Braga, ended up the season also with an interim coach. Things didn't go so, so well at the end, but they eventually got the third spot last year. And this year they'll start with a new coach, but it isn't exactly an unknown uh, coach. It's a guy that already proved to, to be um, a very seasoned guy in this type of, of matches and in the Portuguese league. And he's inheriting also a very, very good squad. Uh, I just mentioned that they finished third last year, so... I think it's um, it's reasonable to say that they're hoping they can at least get the same spot this year. So I think it will be very tight between Sporting and Braga to see who will get the, the third place and therefore access to the Champions League and who will be relegated, so to speak, to the Europa League, which will also have a great impact on the team's finances for the upcoming year. So if you have to choose between Braga and Sporting... I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Alex. I, I really am going for Braga. I think they, they had very interesting signings and I think we'll, we'll talk more about it uh, in, the, um, in the upcoming minutes. And I think that they, they, they kept the same base uh, of the team, which was already quite good. And a little bit like the comparison between Porto and Benfica, in terms of starting 11, I'm not sure which one is best. But if you look at the depth of the squads, I think Braga has a lot more options. So for a very, especially this year, because the, the, the season is starting a bit almost in the end of September. So we'll have less time to play a lot of matches. So it will be a really, really tough season uh, physically. And having a, a deep squad where you can get solutions for every position of the same quality will really make a difference. And I think that's where, where Raga gets the, the upper hand on Sporting. So I, I'm picking them for third spot and Sporting on the fourth. Very interesting. Very interesting and ballsy. Let's see if you're, if you're correct about that. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm going to back up my boys and uh, I'll say they will finish third. Um, and I think Braga will finish fourth. We have to be honest and this for all listeners, there is a clear gap between, you know, the top four, so to say, and the fifth in yeah. Portugal. I mean, there, there is not even a discussion that this top four is going to be the top four because the golf in class, the difference between fourth and fifth is just humongous. We, we can argue the whole night long who's going to finish fifth. There's enough teams to go around for, for, for exactly. that place, but the top four is, uh, uh, you know, it's defined. There is yeah. no, no shocking surprises entering the yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the only challenge here is how to organize those four teams. Uh, and I, I think you can try to organize them in two different blocks. So first and second and third and fourth. But really, if there are any surprises this year, so uh, it wouldn't be that shocking to see Braga or Sporting getting second spots. But let's see. But as you mentioned, I also think it's important, uh, since we're doing like this analysis of the Liga Nosh, to actually give a lot of credit to Braga because uh, we both know, as we follow the league, uh, since we remember we exist, uh, that Braga was never considered to be one of the big four. The, in Portugal, we only had big three teams. So the last couple of years, Braga did uh, an amazing job and they got to where they are now with a lot of effort. And the team has clearly established themselves as the fourth big team in, in Portugal. 
they're getting some titles, which was what they were missing, the trophies, because the, 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 the league spots that they were getting always like fourth place, fifth place, third place. So they now added some trophies to their cabinet and they're for sure the, the fourth biggest club in the country. Yeah, I think probably half of Bluenense fans and probably all of Boa Vista fans would disagree. But um, yeah, I think you're onto something. I am, yeah, the I thing is, Bluenense fans are following their team on the, the regional uh, championship. So cause they don't really support this team that stayed in the first league. So <laughs> I will disagree with you on that. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so yeah, regarding uh, place for fourth place in this case, I'm uh, disagreeing with you. I think it's going to be for Braga because I expect Sporting to at least achieve third because we desperately need it for Champions League purposes. Um, I think though, uh, place number five, I think that's can be um, four to five teams. And I'm going to say that here it's where my biggest surprise is going to fall. I think place number five, it's going to go for Maritimo. Maritimo is a very sur surprise, not because they have a huge quality and players coming in, but I think their manager, Lito Vidigal, I think he's one of those managers who is very defensively savvy, who knows how to grind results, who's really annoying to play with. You know, he's the kind of manager that goes to, to Dregan or lose at Avalad and gets uh, a 1-1 draw. When you see Famalicão and Guimarães, who would definitely be, the, the, for me, the biggest contenders for place number five, they're in a rebuilding stage. Famalicão had an amazing team last year, but basically more than half of the team is now gone. And I think they're going to take a while to, even if they get the, the amazing players, they're going to take a while to regroup. I think Guimarães has the new manager, Thiago, former Atletico Madrid player, but you never know what is in there. Again, it's a bit the same with um, the, the manager of Riwav. I think we still don't know what is in there. Whilst, whilst you have a manager like Lito Vidigal, who's really experienced, and I think they, they'll make it in, to fifth place. Okay, that's a ballsy statement. Uh, I, I totally agree with you that Lito is probably one of the best coaches in the league. But I have to disagree with you because I really see him, and I might be wrong, maybe he'll prove me wrong this year, but I really see him as a, a coach that is really good at getting teams to stay on the league. So teams that uh, have, uh, I don't want to say squads with less quality or that are not performing so well, and he just comes in and he's able to, to get a grip on those players and just to, to get the results, as you said, like he's, he's able to create results out of nowhere in matches where the team isn't actually playing well, but because he's very savvy and he's been here, uh, he's been around in the league for so many years, he can get the points. I'm not so sure if you can build a successful team that actually plays a nice football, because let's be honest, to be fifth, you, you do need to know how to play football and not just to get those results at the, the last instant. So I, I don't think they'll get to the fifth place. But as you mentioned, the fifth place, I think, especially this year, is a, a really big challenge to predict because a lot of interesting teams are, are coming up. Just today, we had the confirmation that Quaresma is joining Guimarães. So we're talking about a player that played 80 times, over 80 times for Portugal, scoring more than 10 goals. So he, he's going to add a lot of experience to a, a, a squad that has players like Noah Holm or Lyle Foster coming in from teams like Leipzig and Monaco. So they have a really interesting team. But they're all new, so they're building, they're rebuilding the whole squad. Same goes for Family Count. They have a lot of interesting players coming in, but more than half the squad left. So to me, it's a really big um, uh, challenge to predict whether they'll be good or not this season. I think it's very difficult to predict. And same goes for Boa Vista, which is actually uh, where I, I have to signal a player that I really think can make a difference in the Portuguese league, which is Angel Gomez. And especially considering that he, there's no cost associated to the transfer. Of course, it's a loan, so it's not a permanent deal. But still, I think that for a team of Boa Vista's size, since they, they got back to the first league uh, after they had been relegated to the lower league. So, and, and, and it's an important signing for a club that so far was just trying to survive in the first division. And this year, for the first time, their, their fans actually can believe they can achieve something like European football. They, are, they have Adil Rami, like... Uh, a defender that two years ago was winning a World Cup with France. So 
they have a lot of interesting signings. To me, those are the two most interesting, Angel Gomez and Nadil Rami. So they have a very promising squad, but I'm, I'm not so sure about their manager, who doesn't have a lot of experience in the first league. And the team as a whole, the, the whole squad is new. So will he be able to actually build a team around good players or not? So we'll see how it goes. I think the fifth spot is really uh, difficult to predict this year. Very interesting take on um, what can happen in the fifth spot. But let's give our listeners what they are all waiting for. Talk to me about who's clinching the title this year. Is it everyone's expected team? Is it the million-dollar club? The guys who go all out and buy everyone? I don't think, I don't know if you can hear the tears falling very slowly from my face while I'm answering, but I'll have to say Benfica will pinch the title this year. As I mentioned before, doing a recap of last season, to me, in my personal opinion, they already had the best squad last year. So at least in terms of depth, they had a lot of more options. And this year, they got a coach that was already champion when he was managing them a couple of years ago and just won everything in Brazil. He also won the Libertadores Cup, so he comes with a lot of confidence and morale. And they did a super investment in the squad, which to me was already the strongest. So I think there's a huge gap in terms of quality from one squad to another. And whilst I do recognize some value to Porto's coach, Sergio Conceição, I think Jorge Jesus is... He has proven, he has proven uh, over the, the last few years that he is one of the best managers in Portugal. So if you combine one of the best managers with a top squad, I think it's, I don't like to say mandatory, but I really think the pressure is on them to win this year because they have all the conditions to, to do so quite easily, I must say. Now, it's a very interesting team. We, they already spent 18 million euros. So you have players like Darwin Nunez from Almeria, second division in Spain, costing 24 million euros. Everton, Cebolinha, 20. Pedrinho, 18. Lucas Waldschmidt, 15. Jan Vertonghen came uh, free of cost for Benfica. But we're talking 18 million. Now, Jorge Jesus is saying Benfica has world-class infrastructure, world-class stadium, world-class fans. It's just missing world-class players. So 80 million spent. You think they still need more to win Liga Nos? Or, or is this about gaining control of European foot? Oh, I, I think that's really the issue for this year because uh, he was already champion when he was managing Benfica, but he never got the chance to get his hands on an European trophy. Uh, he was very close to do so when he lost the two Europa League finals, to, first to Chelsea and then to Sevilla. And I really believe that he only came back to the club uh, because the president promised him that he would have the, the conditions he would need to build a strong and successful, successful team, not only in Portugal, but in Europe. Because I think, as I mentioned, I think that the, the, the gap in quality between the two squads of the, the main title contenders, the gap is huge. So I'm already assuming that they will be able to clinch the title and I think the real goal for this year will actually be to, to go far in, in the Champions League if they manage to, to get there. Well, let's not forget, they still have to overcome uh, the, the third uh, round and, and plus a, a, a playoff, uh, which in my opinion, if they don't, that will cause a big problem in terms of finance to the club and also in terms of the fans' expectations because with all these new players coming in, I think even the fans are expecting the, the Jesus to, to lead the team to a at least, um, I don't know, round of 16 or quarterfinals. Um, I mean, everything can happen in the Champions League draw. If they get paired with Inter and Manchester City, it will obviously be, obviously be very tough. But I think that's the expectation. And that's where they have set the bar, uh, as you mentioned, by spending 80 million in, in new players to what was already uh, a strong enough squad to, to win the title in Portugal. So I think the objectives for this season have to um, have to have some kind of success in Europe besides just, I don't like to say just winning the league, but it really is uh, what it is right now. I think it's, it's not enough for them to win the league this year. Definitely, I agree with you. I think Benfica is way too strong. I, currently, as we see the clubs and you, uh, we've seen that um, Porto is still not uh, entering the market as strong as we 
uh, were expecting, which is uh, normal. But um, currently, you see Benfica way ahead in terms of, of squad. Not only of starting eleven, we're talking also depth because these yeah, exactly. players, some of these that I mentioned, like Pedrinho and Cebolinha, at least one of them is going to be on the bench, and Lucas Waldschmidt, which is you know it's basically a fifteen or twenty million player euro player on the bench which is everyone's dream, you know, Porto and Sporting would kill to have a, uh, a 15 or a 20 million player uh, on the bench to be able to make the difference when, so I think I agree with you. I think Benfica has to be, I think it's a bit what Porto did a couple of years ago with Lopetegui in terms of um, go big or go home. I mean, it's either yeah, exactly. bang or bust in this case. Uh, if they don't manage to win, it's going to be really tough for them. I think it's important to mention that we, we haven't uh, done so, so far. But for our listeners that are not so familiar with the, the situation in Portugal, and particularly in Benfica, it's important for you to know that uh, this year Benfica will have elections. And this is, uh, at least that I can remember, the, the year where the current president is under more pressure from the fans, especially because he has promised uh, every time he got re-elected to get European success, and then he never managed to get the club to, to get it. They were close, as I mentioned, on the two Europa League finals, but they never really got it. And in some years, they lost, like last year, they lost the league when they were a couple of points ahead, and the fans were really, really annoyed with that. So I think it's exactly as I mentioned. It's a move very similar to what Porto did a couple of years ago when they hired Lopetegui, and they gave him a white card to hire players, and he also spent around 70 million in players to look good, not only in Portugal, but also in Europe. Actually, that year, Porto made it to the quarterfinals, and they actually won against Bayern at home. Of course, they were thrashed in, in, in Bayern, in Munich afterwards. But still, that team really caused an impact in Europe, but they weren't uh, able to get the championship in Portugal, so it was a massive failure. And I think this is what, what can happen this year. Obviously, we're just talking about predictions and in theory, and football has nothing to do in theory. It really depends on what's going to happen on the pitch. So, But, but at least in theory, Benfica has all the conditions to, to win the league and go far in Europe, uh, obviously, depending on what kind of group they have in the, in the draw. Uh, in comparison, if we look at Porto, uh, as, as you asked me also before, uh, I think they will get second spot. And I think that... You, you said what, what I think every Porto fan thinks, although we, we don't like to admit it. It's like everyone in Porto would like to have Everton Cipollini in, in the team right now, for example, a signing of, of his size. Uh, and I think the, the, the best signing we had so far is a guy that was already in the squad, but barely played last year, which is Shreya Nakajima, the Japanese player who did a very, very promising season in Portimonense two years ago. But then he was uh, transferred to Qatar and then he got back last year to play in Porto, but... Uh, mostly due to uh, off-the-pitch uh, situations. He really uh, didn't get a chance to, to get a place on the starting eleven and actually show what he can do, at least what he promised he could do when he was playing for Portimonense. And I think he will be, uh, at least so far, the, the biggest recovery uh, for the squad comparing to, to last year. I think what, what Porto is hoping for uh, is to keep the, the same base that played last year, because I believe that that's the way they can try to, to fight Benfica. If they maintain the same group of players that were crucial to clinch the title and the cup last year. So I, I think Benfica in theory has everything that is needed to win. But if Porto can keep the same team that actually was able to get the title from them last year, I think they, they might have a chance at doing so this year. So it's not lost already. I mean, we're, we're always uh, we're trying to predict what's going to happen, but let, let's wait and see. No, definitely you're you're on the right on that one with with players such as um, Alex Telles and Corona and Danilo, which are part of the engine room of, of that team on the, the verge of being able to, to leave the club. I think Alex Telles is clearly, uh, if someone leaves, the first one to leave would be him because he's honestly an extraordinary player, way above the level of this league. You know, it's the kind of player that uh, would deserve to be playing quarter and semifinals of a Champions League uh, every year. I think he's extraordinary. They, from left back, the amount of assists he does, his crossing ability is off the charts. Um, I, th I think Porto's team is quite interesting what's going to happen uh, regarding the strikers. I had, though, um, a very interesting question for you. There's a player I'm really interested uh, in Porto's team. Uh, center back, young center back, Leite, Diogo Leite, who is 
someone I really like, but you have in the team currently Pep, who is 36 going on 37. Uh, 37 already. <laughs> 37 already. And um, you have also Marcano still in the team. Uh, you have Mbemba, um, who was the hero of the uh, Portuguese Cup. Is there any room for him? He was um, said to be on the, his way to, to Valencia, but uh, as we all know in previous podcasts, Valencia is now basically bankrupt. Do you think there's a place for him to break through that defense? Or Actually, that's a very interesting question. Um, I'm also uh, a big fan of his abilities, and I actually saw him play for the under-21 team uh, three years ago, and he actually scored two very, very beautiful goals against Cyprus. And I, I think he's a player that still uh, lacks some ability to play uh, for Porto in terms of the, the first team regularly. But that, that's the thing with all young players. If you don't play, you, you don't evolve. And I think that the last two seasons, he, I think two seasons ago, he played uh, six or seven official matches with Porto's first team. Then last season, he played 18, but most of them just coming off the bench. So he didn't really get an opportunity to get the, the, the spot on the first uh, the starting 11. And I think this year, since Ivan Marcano, which is the, the starting uh, central defender on the left side, of Porto's defense is injured uh, at least until November. Uh, you would think that since he's also a, a player that likes the, the left um, left side of the defense, he would get his chance. But the truth is that last year he also got that opportunity and eventually it was Mbemba that got the, the spot. And he did a couple of very nice performances uh, from the moment that he, 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 he grabbed the, the place on the starting 11 until the end of the league. And as you mentioned, he was the hero of the cup, which is which was the last official game of the season. So, I don't see Diogo starting uh, on the on the starting eleven in the beginning of the season because I think Mbemba will keep his uh, high earned uh, spot alongside Pepe, the the guy that just turned thirty seven but still runs like a youngster. And uh, I, I think he might have some chances during the season, but when Marcano is back, I really don't know. What's in it for him, you know? And I think that I play his age, if I'm not mistaken, he's 21 or 22. I think he needs to play. And you mentioned very well that he was about to be sold to Valencia, where he could actually fit uh, and, and have more playing time in a, in a top team. Uh, but things uh, just turned sour. Valencia doesn't have the ability to invest right now. And I don't think they will make an offer of the dimension that Porto needs to sell him because he's a youngster with a lot of, ta- a lot of potential talent. So I don't think he will be sold at a, at a cut price. But staying in the squad will be, uh, I think, an incognito as well. So we really don't know what he can expect by staying in the squad. We also have Diogo Queiroz, which is another centre-back that just got back from a loan in Belgium where he played regularly, he evolved, and he will also uh, be competition. So right now we have five centre-backs, and the most likely is that one of them will go... Uh, will have to be transferred. We just don't really know which one. But let, let's wait and see. I, I Personally, on, on a personal level, I would really like to see Diogo having more chances because I believe that, especially considering that Pep is 37 and Marcano 33, if I'm not mistaken, he is the future of, of the club. Alongside Diogo Queiroz, who plays on the right side of the defense and is 21, they are both the future. But then you have Mbemba, which is also performing very well, and it would be highly unfair to take him off the team but let's see. I think Porto's transfer market is still just beginning. As I mentioned, Alex Telles is very, very likely to go out. Today, there were rumors in Portugal that he was about to sign with Man United. But those are just press rumors. You know how it is the silly season. Let's see if, if it gets confirmed or not. I really think he deserves to, to move to a, a, a club that, as you mentioned, plays the quarterfinals of the Champions League or should be playing quarterfinal of the, the Champions League uh, more often than Porto does. But, but let's see. Uh, I think the, the whole market of Porto will, will develop a bit later than other clubs because uh, as we are still under the wing of financial fair play, we didn't have the ability to invest. And I think that the, the board also didn't want to sell some of its assets before they knew that they could buy replacements. And now we just sold Fabio Silva, a striker, very promising striker, for $40 million. And maybe that will give some room of maneuver for the, the board to negotiate other players, knowing that they will be able to get a replacement afterwards. So let's, let's wait and see. 
No, there's def definitely an, a very easy solution for the whole Diogo Leite saga. He's a centre-back, promising young centre-back who needs playing time. I think the only sensible thing is to send him to a team that actually needs a centre-back right now quite urgently. And that would be sporting. I think that's the only reason the deal should go through. You know, you just basically send him over and uh, we'll send you, you know, a youngster somehow. Or maybe, you know... Luis Philippe or something that uh, could help you up front. <laughs> well, we'll take Nuno Mendes if you want to. If you want to swap them. Yeah, let's not be. Crazy. He would be the perfect replacement for Telles. So if, if you're proposing a, a player swap, I'll go for Mendes. Mendes for later. George Mendes. Yeah, okay, you can have him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's let's uh, bring our attention back to the capital. So basically, Sporting, uh, which you predicted to finish fourth, um, I would disagree. Very interesting um, couple of signings, and then very weird signings so far for Sporting. You have um, players like uh, Pot from Famalicão for six and a half million for a half of his um, economic rights, which is promising young player who might even fit either as a starting um, position in the midfield if uh, Wendell chooses to leave or uh, might play alongside him. Maybe. I think that's unlikely. Then you have also Pohu. Uh, on loan from um, Manchester City, who's showing a bit of ability. You have a couple of guys who we already know what they're going to deliver, like Nuno Santos, you know, he's a squad player who might be able to do a couple of minutes here and there. And a lot of uh, unknowns like uh, Fedal, for instance, and still um, one or two places to fill. Should sporting fans be hopeful with uh, Ruben Amuri uh, at charge and all of the youngsters? Currently, they have, uh, I think, uh, behind uh, Guimarães, the second youngest squad in the, in the league currently. Do you think them, they, there should be hope? You, you touched some interesting points there. Uh, I think that uh, sporting did some great signings, and I would uh, signal here uh, Antonio Adán. The, the goalkeeper, I think he will be a, a nice upgrade in terms of quality uh, on the goal because I don't, I don't think Maximiano is a bad player. I just think he's still a bit inexperienced, um, inexperienced. and I think he, he didn't uh, evolve as much as I was expecting him to do so last season. So I think they, they did very well in getting a replacement which can guarantee immediate quality because it's a very sensible position that can define whether you win or lose a match. Uh, so I, I think that was the, 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 the biggest signing so far. Uh, but then I also think they will have a, a huge problem by losing Jeremy Mathieu. I mean, to me, Jeremy Mathieu was the, the best centre-back in the league last season. And unfortunately, due to injury, he was forced to, to finish his uh, career earlier than expected. And as you mentioned, the, the signing that was brought in to replace him is uh, Fedal, that just came from Real Betis. And I'm not so sure whether he will be able to fill uh, the giant shoes left by Mathieu. And I think that could be a big problem because Sporting last year was a bit inconsistent in the defense. And Mathieu Coates were still the two players that would assure um, some, some quality and some, some security in, in defense. And I think this year that, that might be a problem. Other than that, I think that... Um, you got interesting players, for example, like you mentioned Pedro Porro, which is a problem that affected Sporting from since a couple of years at the, the right back. They didn't have a player that could be distinct in terms of quality from others. I think there was always a lot of discussion amongst Sporting fans who should play that position and a lot of diverging opinions, whether it should be Estovsky or Rosier. So I think Pedro Porro... Or neither of them. <laughs> Just yeah, even you, empty. Need, you, need, you need someone to play there, I think. Uh, but I think Poho, if he can confirm the, the potential that he's expected, and at least from the, the pre-match, uh, the, the pre-season matches that I saw, he, he does look like he's going to confirm that potential. So I think he can grab that, that place on the starting 11. And he's on a loan, but it's a two-year loan. So it's not exactly a player that can do a good season and just go away. Is a, a project of a player that is expected to stay for two years at Sporting. And I think that would be uh, a really interesting signing if he confirms to, to be up to his potential. Uh, and that would solve a, a, a long-time a long problem that Sporting has. 
Then you also have uh, Pote, which, as you mentioned, can play as a central midfield or even play a bit uh, closer to the, the attacking players. Uh, I'm very curious to see what he's going to add to the squad. He's also a player that is on Portugal's under-21 squad, and he's a very promising player. And he already has experience from the first league. As last last year, last season, he was playing for Famalicão, which was, I would say, the most surprising team. I think everyone would agree with me on this one. It was the most surprising team that we ever saw, because they just got off. They just got up from the second division, and then they were very, very close to fighting for an Europa League place because they had an incredible team. And Pote was a centerpiece of that team. So I think he was a very nice signing. He wasn't exactly cheap for a transfer. Uh, between Portuguese clubs, but I think that he's only 21, so I think that if he can evolve and become a, also a center player in Sporting, he can be sold in a couple of years from now for uh, from a lot more. more. So l- let's see uh, what he can do and what he can add. In terms of players going out, um, I think so far, at least, I don't think that you you lost a lot. Just the 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 departure of Mathieu was the one that has the most impact. But I think that the market is still open uh, for Sporting. I think one very good news, a very good piece of news, was that João Pelinha, which was very close to join CSKA Moscow, backed, uh, backed down on the deal, and he was reintegrated with the squad, and he did a very, very nice performance on the last preseason match. And I really think he can get the, the, a place on the midfield and relegate um, Mateus Nunes to the bench. And I think that Pelinha and Vendel would be a very, very interesting pair to watch on, on Sporting's midfield. Um, and also the, there's the Acuña situation, uh, which was one of the, the players that played the most matches on the last three seasons. So a very regular player that had a lot of attitude on the pitch. And I think a lot of the fans loved him for it. He was a guy that never, uh, he never gave a ball uh, as lost. So he was always ready to, to put up a fight to, to challenge for the ball. And until the, 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 the referee said the match was over, he was still one of the guys still running like a crazy and trying to to get the whole team with him to try to win matches. So I think that the spirit that he brought to the team was quite important. And I think that he also added a lot of uh, quality on the left wing. But uh, if he really gets uh, transferred to another team, which is, which is the most likely scenario at this point, I think you have a, a perfect replacement for him, which is Nuno Mendes, which we were already discussing. I, I would very gladly swap him for Diogo Leite. And I think Nuno Mendes will be one of the surprises this season. I'm not so sure if he still qualifies as a surprise because he already played for six or seven, if I'm not mistaken, matches last season. But he showed a tremendous amount of quality. He's only 18 and he's already a starting player for our under-21 team. So I think he will be a replacement to, to fill in Acuña's shoes. And I don't think that after you saw Mendes play for a couple of matches, I don't think you'll miss Acuña that much. But, but let's see, he's only a, a youngster and a lot of things can happen during the season. But I think he can be the perfect replacement for that position. So that's why I don't think that the, 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 the departure of Acuña will have such an impact on the team as, for example, Matthias will. Definitely. And a very insightful uh, dissection of the sporting team, that's for sure. Uh, so I won't ruin it with my bias. I'll just leave it for our listeners to take it all in and... Let's uh, take a break and then come back with our last section. So welcome back, listeners, to the final section on our preview of Liga Nós, Portugal's first division. We've now discussed top five and everything that is happening there. Let's uh, keep it uh, on also talking about Liga Nos, but now focusing on relegation. Let's talk a bit about it. There's not uh, uh, to the same extent as we talked about the first five, but what do you see in terms of the relegations? If you were to, to choose, so this year we'll have a bit of a different relegation situation. You'll have two teams relegated directly going on a playoff like uh, they do in Germany. Just in um, a very interesting decision uh, by uh, the Liga Portugal in that sense. So who are your teams to be relegated directly? First of all, there's a comment I'd like to make on that announcement, which is finally. I mean, the Portuguese league was actually the, one, the, the only league that was played uh, between 18 teams that was still relegating only two teams per season. And I, don't, I really don't want to be rude or mean, but 
I think we've witnessed for the couple, the last couple of years, a lot of teams that were really just trying to get the the minimum standards to stay on the league because there were only two teams uh, dropping. Because we had some seasons where at least four or five teams deserved to be relegated due to the, the poor quality of football. I know it's not uh, easy for those teams with lower budgets to get competitive players and form uh, competitive squads, but still the, the quality of play was uh, really below what would be expected for a first division. So I'm very happy with the decision to, to actually to introduce the playoff system this year. Um, and l l let's start with the, the two top bottom teams that I predict that would be the two top bottom teams. Uh, one of them is uh, Nacional. And, and I'll explain why. Nacional is a team that got promoted uh, last year. And first things first, they got promoted because the league was uh, decided to be over due to the pandemic. So they didn't play the, all the matches until the end of the league. And since they were uh, second place, they got promoted. I don't think they have a bad squad. And actually, I actually like their, their coach. But I don't think that squad will be enough for, for the first division. I mean, I was not so convinced with their promotion from the second league. So I cannot be convinced that they will stay in the first league uh, after that. So unless they have significant changes in the squad, I really don't think that they will be able to, to maintain themselves in the first division. Having that said, uh, I would move on to the other team that I also think that will be directly relegated, which is Tondela, which is a, a team from a, a small town in Portugal that uh, was hanging on its neck on the last four or five seasons. But then in the last four or five matches, they always managed to stay up uh, because they had a lot of uh, players that uh, had a lot of attitude and smart coaches that knew how to get those points on those important moments, as you mentioned about uh, Lito Vigal. But I really think this year they, they won't make it because you look at their squad and they just lost Antonio Xavier, Pepe Lu, Claudio Ramos, Pite, Jonathan Toro, Ronan. So... From their starting 11, I've just mentioned six players. Maybe Toro wasn't always on the starting 11, but at least the other five. So they lost half of their team. And so far, to be honest, I don't know some of the players that they brought in, but I don't think that they will be as good as the ones that, that left. And I think these players were a key part of why they managed to, to stay, stick around in the first division for so long. Uh, then they also changed the manager. They, they changed uh, from Nacho Gonzalez to another Spanish manager, Paco Yesteran. And I also think that it will be uh, tough for them not having a coach that has uh, more experience in, in the first league. N not uh, specifically the Portuguese first league, but first league experiences. He, he coached a lot in, in Mexico from, from what I saw. So I don't think that... Um, he knows exactly what, what's coming for him in the Portuguese league, let, let's say. So, for example, a coach like Lito Vidigal is a coach that could get this team to make six points in the last two matches if they needed to. I don't think that Paco Estran will be the right man to... Uh, then I would also mention Santa Clara because they lost a couple of important players like the central defender that played for Benfica before Cesar. They lost uh, Guilherme Scatine, the, their top forward which, that just left for Braga. So they lost some important players and their new manager... Uh, this is a very personal opinion, but I'm really not a big fan of, of their new manager. As, as you mentioned, Maritimo last year didn't do a, a very good job. Uh, and they had the, the same manager that will now uh, be managing Santa Clara, so, which is uh, Daniel Ramos. So they didn't play a very attractive football uh, last season. And I think Santa Clara won't play very attractive football this season. But, but let's wait and see. Um, maybe I, I might be wrong. Um, maybe I'm not. And then I would also add uh, Bolognensis because they also lost a lot of important players like the, the winger Mark Matias, their keeper, which was Coffey. Uh, then the midfielder show, which was on loan by Lille, uh, which has just pulled him off Bolognensis and loaned him to, to Boavista as part of their deal. Then Andres Santos, Nuno Coelho, so experienced players of the first league. And I, I think it will be tough for them to... To, to stay in the league, uh, having lost these important players. Uh, just one clarification, Daniel Ramos wasn't managing uh, uh, Maritimo last year. He managed them, I think it was in 2017 and 2018. But their, their, their quality uh, of play was really, really poor. So that, I think that, that's the image that I, I got from him. And then last year, Bovista was also really poor. So I, I'm, I reckon that uh, he won't be able to do much more with this squad of Santa Clara.
so in, in short for you for to go directly down, which teams do you have? It's Nacional and Tondela. Very well. I will follow you also on Tondela. I think they've reached their limit uh, currently with, uh, with the team. They're already pretty lucky last season um, on not going down. And I think Nacionale is definitely a candidate. I would also put Gilles Vicente up on the board uh, because uh, Gilles uh, lost for me, you know, their, their most interesting player in Ruben Ribeiro in terms of a guy who was able to, to do something. I th look, I think he's a guy who's uh, able to come, even if it's from the bench, who was who able to, to deliver something. And um, I think they should be also on on the board but um i guess you're right let's see once uh, we get there in terms of, of um, transfer market let's t do a short one in terms of who you think are your top three purchases so uh, when i was considering what i would uh, place as a top purchase i think i, I had to take into consideration the the cost of, of the player and what he can add to the team so uh uh, I think this will surprise many, many of our listeners that I won't mention uh, some of Benfica's uh, transfers like Pedrinho, which, uh, which costed uh, 18 million or Waldschmidt, 15 million or Everton Spolina. But because of what he can add and because of the low cost that he represents, I would put Jan Vertonghen. Uh, that would be my, my third place in the top three. Because Vertonghen is a player that will have a lot of experience. And if Benfica is seeking international success, he's the guy, you know. He played a lot of years for Tottenham in the Premier League, so he's very experienced. He knows how to react on tough environments. He knows how to regroup a team uh, in tough matches in European context. So I think he's a very, very solid uh, defensive player. He's not exactly young, but nowadays with all the care that the players have for their bodies, I think he still has a lot to offer. Uh, you, you can see by the example of Mathieu in Sporting and Pepe in Porto. So I think Vertonghen still has at least three years uh, to give to Benfica and he can really uh, help them make their defense more solid. So, uh, and considering he, he came uh, on a free transfer, obviously he will be one of the highest earners in, in, the, in the squad and there will be, there will be um, a, signing, a generous signing bonus. I think he, it's still a, a very uh, costly, efficient transfer. Then number two, I will have to add Angel Gomez from Boavista. I think he's a player that was uh, wanted by half of Europe when he decided to leave Man United and not renew his contract. And due to their partnership with Lille, Boavista managed to get one of the most promising players in Europe. And for the Portuguese league, and especially for a club that is supposed to be on mid-table, I think that's a fantastic signing. Also with no cost associated. Obviously, it's just a loan, but still it will help them to get uh, success on the pitch. Then, uh, first spot, I would say Nico Gaetan. Also, considering that it's a free transfer, it's a player that already showed class in the Portuguese league and he's coming to play for Braga. So, a team that is desperate to get on the same level as the top three. Uh, and I think he's the kind of signing that can bring them up a step and get them closer to the top three rather than just being the top four. And I, I, I would say these are my top three. I think uh, I will agree with you in terms of Vertonghen. I also had him maybe because of the uh, Matteo bias, as you as you've pointed out. You know, when you see those experienced centre backs coming by, uh, to the Portuguese league, I think they're able to deliver a lot. Um, if we look into um, the the one you pointed out in Nico Gaetan, I think he also he's gonna be a very interesting player um, for the the league. And he's going to be able to deliver a lot. But I still think first place, I would have to give it to Everton Cibulinha. I think that currently for me, he's the second or third best player of Brazil. Brazil's national team, which you might say, you know, yeah, but it's not Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Romario, Brazil. But still, it's Brazil. And the guy is off the charts. It's the player I'm most excited to, to be honest, to see in uh, playing even more than, you know, a Darwin Nunes or, or, or something like that. So I would agree with two of yours, but in first place, I would put uh, Everton Cibulinha, um definitely as a, as a most interesting player. 
now I wanted to know is for you the biggest surprise in terms of uh, player and manager. I think in terms of player, um, I had uh, something you pointed out. I would have Nuno Mendes. I don't know if we can put him down as a biggest surprise, but I think I think it's 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 a clear one, right? Yeah, I have the same on my list. I have only two names, and the, the top name is Nuno Mendes. As I mentioned before, I'm not really sure we can call him a surprise since he already played last year a couple of a couple of matches, but he he really made you wanted to see more. If he's 18 and he's playing with such confidence, just looking like he's the most relaxed guy on the pitch, that there's no pressure on his shoulders, and he's just 18. So I think that reminded me. Obviously, not trying to get into comparisons, but that reminded me the cockiness of Cristiano Ronaldo playing for Sporting. He was on the pitch with 17 and he didn't care that on the other side you had John O'Shea or Wes Brown when they played against United. So he just didn't care. He was just there trying to play his football and, and show everyone what he's worth. And I see a lot of that in Nuno Mendes. I would also add another name, which uh, might be a surprise because last year was a huge disappointment, which is Nakajima. As I mentioned before from Porto, I think he's the reinforcement that the club will have that actually costs no money this year since he's already on the squad. And mostly due to off-the-pitch problems. Last year, he barely uh, played and had any impact. But he's a player that promised so much while he was playing for Portimonense a couple of seasons ago. So if he can confirm that potential, playing on a, a higher standard for Porto, I think he could be an amazing uh, signing. Let's, let's call it like that this year. But we'll have to see. And in terms of uh, biggest surprise in, uh, of a team, do you have someone in mind? Uh, for me, clearly, and I pointed this out at the start, I think it's going to be a team like Maritimo, you know, with their strong man defense led by Lito. I think they'll be able to, to, to do a really interesting league uh, with a very small investment, which is something that, uh, unfortunately, uh, Lito always had, a very small investment. Who do you think is going to be the surprise in terms of team? Well, I think the biggest surprise is clearly Boavista. I just cannot tell you if it will be a good surprise or a bad one because I think they're building a, a roster a squad with a lot of interesting players. Uh, their manager isn't very experienced in the first league, so I think it could either go very well or very, very bad. Uh, but but let's see. Uh, but I think there will be a surprise either for the good side or the bad side. In terms of the uh, good side surprises, I would also put uh, Vitória de Guimarães. They they failed their objectives last year, but they were actually playing very interesting football. Unfortunately, the coach is, is not the same, but it, they have Tiago Mendes, which is also a surprise uh, in itself. So let's see if he can actually prove to... to to show that he's uh, as a good manager as he was uh, while as a player, because he has a very interesting squad filled with uh, young potential talents and come and uh, like uh, that can be uh, compensated by the experience of players like Ricardo Quaresma, who has just signed today. So I think they have a, a good balance between young, potentially uh, fantastic players and experience in Quaresma or players like Silvio. So let's see if Thiago can also prove himself as a manager and, and get them to the an Europa League spot. Wow, that was a very, very insightful conversation. Thank you so much for uh, your insights. Miguel, thank you for, for, I think, all our listeners and not only myself appreciate all, all of it. It was, uh, it was a very interesting conversation and uh, I think everyone now knows a bit more about Liga Nos and uh, all the players. Cheers. Thank you very much, Alex. Looking forward for this season and see what's coming. Thanks. And uh, remember, listeners, um, to follow us on Instagram on EurofootballVerdicts. Email us your questions on EurofootballVerdicts at gmail.com. And adios.